0: Cuban. Going
1: against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them. And thanks for having me on. Jeannie Bus. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett.
0: It was very interesting. You asked great questions. So thank you very much,
2: Brian. Damian Luller.
0: That was for Seattle. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh,
0: thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. In your preparation shows you.
2: Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you saying. I look forward to catching up with you again soon.
1: Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger.
2: Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Jam packed for you. Two guests. Our first guest, Gracie Gold, two-time U.S. national champion and Olympic figure skater. She joins us in advance of her appearance in the upcoming HBO documentary, The Weight of Gold. Gracie Gold discusses the mental and emotional toll, the pressure that being an elite athlete has had on her, spending her entire career focused on a four-minute performance on the ice, having to look good while being on the ice, and the lack of mental health and post Olympic career resources that are available to Olympic athletes. This is a really sobering, candid interview with Gracie Gold. The documentary on HBO, The Weight of Gold, is absolutely outstanding. It debuts on July 29th. I think you'll find a lot of insight from my conversation today with Gracie Gold. Also, David Katz, the Executive Vice President and Head of Digital for Fox Sports, he's going to join us to discuss the launch of the new Fox Sports app and website. He's going to discuss the strategies that went into modernizing the Fox Sports mobile app and website, new innovations that users will be able to enjoy, like a bonus camera, which I really like. Um, And then he'll share his thoughts on the tremendous growth of digital and streaming platforms during the current global health crisis in 2020 this week's edition of sports business radio is presented by cbdmd thc free and the official cbd partner of sports business radio try cbdmd's award-winning sleep pain relief and pet products visit cbdmd.com and use promo code sbr to save 25 percent off at checkout i'm joined by executive producer brian griggs griggs how you hanging in
1: I'm doing good and I can't believe we're almost to August and I'm excited because you know we got lots of sports coming on board here. It's fun to see baseball again, fun to see soccer and NBA starting this week. Uh, I'm pumped. I love it.
2: Yeah a lot of stuff going on. Record TV ratings which we'll get to in a minute but let's start with Major League Baseball. Oh boy. So everyone has asked with every league that's playing right now what would it take to shut down the league? Remember Back in March, one positive test, Rudy Gobert shut down the NBA and most leagues followed suit after that NCAA tournament, so on and so on. Well, Griggs, the Miami Marlins, as of this recording, and keep in mind, what are we, four days into the season, five days into the Major League Baseball season, the Miami Marlins have 19 positive COVID cases on their roster right now. Their games against the Orioles for yesterday and today, today's Tuesday, have been postponed. The Phillies, who the Marlins played in their opening series, their games yesterday and today against the Yankees have also been postponed. Griggs, here's the thing that really gets me, though. In addition to, you know, we've said for months, playing outside the bubble just doesn't seem like a good idea, being on airplanes, you know, hotels, locker rooms, things like that. But Here's two tweets that really resonated with me from guys who are very well respected in Major League Baseball. First, from David Price, at DavidPrice24 on Twitter. He says, now we really get to see if MLB is going to put players' health first. Remember when Manfred said players' health was paramount? Part of the reason I'm at home right now is because players' health wasn't being put first. I can see that hasn't changed. So that's from David Price, who, by the way, Griggs, as we discussed before, he left $11 million on the table to not play this season. And then Andrew McCutcheon, veteran, well-respected, former MVP with the Philadelphia Phillies, he says, I come on Twitter to find out if we're playing or not. I don't wait for a text because the media knows the answer before us. LOL. Griggs, what? in God's name, is going on with Major League Baseball.
1: Wow, those are awesome tweets. And you're right, so sobering because, I mean, that just says it right there. I mean, the communication or lack of communication with MLB and their players, the lack of player safety, it's less about the game now. And it's more about, are we even playing? Where are we going? What are we doing? And we talked about this weeks before. We, you and I were worried about the MLB setup with no bubble, traveling, going around. And here we go, four or five days into the season, and we've already got an outbreak with the team. So it's not looking good.
2: So what do you do with the Marlins now? Some people are saying, well, you know, to be really safe, they shouldn't play for two weeks. So do you just cancel their games for two weeks? Do they end up playing, you know, a 50-game season instead of a 60-game season? What does that do to the competitive balance? How do they get players to replace the 19 players that can't play right now? And, you know, you hope that everyone recovers. That's 19 players. By the way what in the world were they doing on that team to have such an outbreak, right? Like, I mean, Major League Baseball put out a 113-page document, Griggs, on the protocols around how to resume baseball. Well, maybe the Marlins weren't paying attention to those protocols because to have 19 cases on one team, that seems like a lot.
1: Yeah, it really does. I was thinking that, too, when I saw that come out uh, this last week, this week. And it's like, wow, how did they get so many? I mean, what's going on There's Something's not not right there. And you're right. How do we how does that team, if they get two weeks canceled games, how does it work with competitive with everybody else? Now they're playing ten games less. I mean, it's becoming a more and more mess. And hopefully more teams don't get outbreaks. I mean, look,
2: I don't want my friends at Major League Baseball to light me up like they have in the past for saying things on this show. But I will say this. They had the worst return-to-play strategy of any league. And I think what we're seeing with Major League Baseball is a preview to what we would see, but even worse with college football and the NFL, as we've discussed ad nauseum on this show, because you have 85-person rosters for college football and for the NFL. Baseball, you have a 30-person roster. Basketball, you have a 15-person roster. So when you're playing outside the bubble, when you're traveling... When you're going to your homes and interacting with people, quote-unquote, outside of your team, anything can happen. And this virus isn't going to stop for anyone. It doesn't discriminate. So, you know, I'm not sure what Major League Baseball is going to do. I will be shocked if they make it through the entire season. They may not make it another week. We'll follow this carefully. But, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what shuts it down. Part of the new agreement with the Players Association and the MLB and Major League Baseball is, Griggs, Rob Manford has the authority to shut down the season if one team has a mass outbreak. Well, here we are. They have now checked that box. The Miami Marlins, more than half of their roster has a COVID outbreak. So he officially now has the authority per the agreement that the players and owners signed before this restart happened to shut down the season. Will he do it? Will the owners let him? That's what's going to be interesting to watch.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, again, it goes back to when they were on the table about starting the season. It went back and forth forever with MLB and money and this and that. And here we are again. How are we going to shut the season down? Back and forth we go. Back and forth we go. So yeah, it just uh, it's uh, it's tough with MLB. And obviously, I mean, the examples of MLB or I mean of NBA and and soccer have done well. The bubble obviously is working. So um, I don't know. I don't know if MLB can change their stance on that and change how they're doing it, or if it's too late. Well, the
2: Cape League has invited Major League Baseball to come play in a bubble there. I doubt that's going to happen at this point. But um, before we get to some of those other leagues that you just mentioned that have experienced great success, TV ratings have gone through the roof. So, you know, we've said throughout this time, once live sports returns, people are going to flock to it, A, because they missed it, and B, there's nothing else going on. So people who are pent up in their house or who you know are just looking for live sports they're gonna flock and major league baseball the ratings across the board are up an average of 232 percent from last year so you know the sunday night baseball games the opening espn broadcast with the new york yankees and the washington nationals big big numbers numbers like they've never seen before so that's why major league baseball is going to keep trying to play because they want to be relevant. They love those TV ratings and you know, they need the money coming in from the TV partners. And if they have to shut down, then, then they don't get it. So we'll watch major league baseball closely. All right. As you pointed out, Griggs on the good news front, there are leagues in the bubble that are succeeding and frankly exceeding my expectations. So 1st The NWSL, congratulations to Commissioner Lisa Baird and everyone with the NWSL. They are the first pro sport to get through a tournament and basically get through their restart. So uh, the Houston Dash won the tournament that was in Utah. They completed it. No one got sick. They had record TV ratings. The NWSL announced a team like we told you last week in Los Angeles. This is a, a really big year for the NWSL, and they get through their tournament unscathed, Griggs.
1: Yeah, women's soccer is killing it. Great example for other leagues. And uh, yeah, it was fun. I watched a couple games, um, and it, they did it well. They set it up well. The broadcast sounded good. They looked good. And obviously, the players were safe, and that's the most important. And uh great example of a good restart.
2: All right, then you go to Florida, and you've got three different leagues going on there. Major League Soccer has had no positive tests in Orlando for the last eight testing periods. So, boy, that's great news. They continue to roll along. They lost two teams early due to COVID withdrawals, but since then, they've had eight straight periods of no positive COVID tests. Then you've got the NBA, who is humming along. They're getting ready this week to start their regular season, so those eight games that will determine playoff seeding. They've had very few positive tests. They did have a player leave the bubble, Griggs. Lou Williams of the Clippers. And this is why I have a company called Everything is on the Record. Everything is on the Record. A picture of him getting wings at Magic City in Atlanta. So he leaves the bubble for personal family reasons. And then a picture is snapped of him at Magic City, which is a gentleman's club. And, you know, he says he's going for the wings. Well, maybe he is, but Griggs, those are some expensive wings because he's going to miss two games and he's going to be docked pay. Those are $150,000 wings that he ate, Griggs.
1: Yeah, I hope they came with the best sauce and a whole stack of them.
2: (laughs) So he he basically had to quarantine for 10 days when he comes back. He's still in quarantine right now. But, uh, you know, we kind of joked at the beginning of this, is anyone to leave the bubble and go for quote-unquote essential services? Are they going to bring anything back into the bubble? Is anyone going to bring, you know, essential services, so to say, into the bubble? So far, the NBA has done a great job. Lou Williams is a, a pretty bright guy. Maybe he was just going for wings, but he still put himself and anyone that he would come in contact in the bubble at risk, so... Not a great move by him. I'm sure the NBA is going to watch this closely. Also, NBA news, Zion Williamson has returned to the bubble. He has been cleared to play. He quarantined. That's great news for the NBA. So again, NBA, Clippers, Lakers, they start us off on Thursday. Very few positive tests. The WNBA is also up and running in Florida at the IMG Academy. They experienced record ratings for their opening games on TV, on ESPN. Also, they did a great job. Everywhere I turned on opening day, NBA players and other celebrities were wearing the WNBA orange hoodie. And it just was great because, first of all, it was the number one selling item on Fanatics for this week. So they sold a ton of WNBA orange hoodies. But secondly, it was just great branding. Someone smart at the WNBA, probably Commissioner Kathy Engelbert, who's been on the show before. You know, it's called seeding product. You send it out to influencers and you say, hey, wear this, take a picture, put it on your social media. And obviously that was a concerted campaign. It didn't just happen by accident on opening day that everyone was wearing their WNBA hoodie. I thought it was really well done. And, uh, you know, they're off and running with great ratings and, and no positive tests.
1: For sure. And I think it's it's a great cross promotion. You know, you got WNBA or NBA helping out WNBA and vice versa. And I think it's it's only going to help everybody. So uh, it was fun seeing, you know, Dame and all the other guys posting their orange hoodies on the opening day. And also seeing our Oregon Zone Sabrina kick off with New York Liberty, which was fun. So, uh, yeah, WNBA is doing good, looking good. And I think ESPN added like 13 games more to coming up after this first uh, weekend.
2: They did. Yeah. So that's great that they added more games. And you know what? When I saw all the NBA players wearing the WNBA hoodie, yes, some of them would have done that on their own, but I can't help but credit the late Kobe Bryant, who was such a supporter of the WNBA, wore his WNBA orange hoodie all of the time at courtside games and and other places. And, you know, I think he showed all the other younger players, hey, let's support our colleagues in the WNBA. and. Uh, I think it's great. I I think a lot of it was a tip of the cap to Kobe, to be honest with you, too. Not only are they supporting the women in the WNBA, which is the number one reason they should be supporting the WNBA, but I think also it was led by Kobe's example, and, and I don't think that can be underestimated. So the other league that's going to be starting this week, the NHL. And they have entered the bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton. So far, no positive tests as the teams enter the bubble. Um, And also, big NHL news outside of the bubble this week, Griggs. The unveiling of the Seattle Kraken. And I loved the unveiling of the logo, the video. I just thought everything about the press conference and the branding and just everything about it was really well done. It's an outside-the-box name. A Kraken is basically a, a sea monster that, you know, could be lurking off the shores of Seattle. And, you know, their secondary logo, which incorporates the Space Needle in Seattle, just everything was really well done. So... Congratulations to all the people with the Seattle Kraken and the NHL on a very, very uh, well done unveiling of their name and logo.
1: I agree. I think it was fun. It was Twitter was kind of hyping that whole day. People were counting it down hour left, you know, thirty minutes left, and then that cool video they put out. Yeah, well done. Looks good. I know Seattle's pumped. I mean, I, we're in Portland area, so we can pop up to a game or two. I'm excited to go see some NHL local, and uh, yeah, bring it on.
2: All right, before we get to the interviews with Gracie Gold and David Katz, an announcement to make. You know that we announced a partnership recently with Malka Sports. Well, we're teaming with them on the Sports Business Academy. It's August 13 and 14. Of course, like everything else, it's virtual. It's not in person. But this is for high school and college students specifically. And it's a great opportunity for students to hear real-time best practices from top minds working in the sports industry. It's also a great opportunity for college students specifically, I think, to zero in on what sector of the sports industry do they want to work in specifically. Is it analytics? Is it venue management? Is it social media? Is it PR? Where do you want to work in sports? And the bright minds that are going to join us for the Sports Business Academy are going to help shape those decisions for you. You can register now at SBA, like Sports Business Academy, sba.malkasports.com. And that's Malka, Sports dot com. So S-B-A dot M-A-L-K-A, sports.com. So sba.malkasports.com. That's how you can register for the Sports Business Academy that we're doing with Malka Sports on August 13 and 14.
1: Griggs, anything else going on? I'm excited about that Malka thing. I mean, Pat and Malka is doing big things. I'm excited to be with them. And that is a cool, cool opportunity for kids because, man, I wish I had some influence like that when I was in high school. So take the opportunity and run with it because that's awesome.
2: Well, and, you know, no knock on formal education right now, but we need to hear from the people who are living it and breathing it and on the front lines every day of sports because we're in this unique time where... We don't have time for new textbooks to come out in two years or three years. Like These are immediate learnings that are needed today, best practices needed today. That's why we've had some of the best and the brightest on this show in the last six months. How are they navigating through these unprecedented times? Those are the types of people you're going to hear from at the Sports Business Academy August 13 and 14, com. All right. Coming up next, a really insightful, sobering, candid conversation with two-time U.S. national champion and Olympic figure skater, Gracie Gold. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I'm thrilled to tell you about a new Sports Business Radio partner who's going to help you and whose products have been life-changing for me and my family. CBDMD is now the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio. Many people use CBD products as a regular part of their health and wellness routines, but only the best use superior products from CBDMD. CBDMD has a wide variety of CBD oil products ranging from classic CBD oil tinctures to topicals, gummies, heck, they even have CBD for your pets. From NFL veterans like Nate Burleson and future Hall of Famer Steve Smith Sr. to two-time Masters champion Bubba Watson. CBDMD is tested and trusted by people who know pain. And the best part? All CBDMD products are THC-free. That was important for me. Third-party tested and backed by a 60-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. Look, these are anxious times for many of us right now. We're not sleeping nearly as well. I tried CBDMD's award-winning CBD PM drops and I now sleep through the night. My daughter loves CBDMD's Revive Moisturizing Lotion and the CBDMD Freeze Pain Roller for her aches and pains from playing sports. And our dog loves the CBDMD soft chews. And because the products are all THC-free, CBDMD is safe for our family. Dozens of companies have sent me CBD product to try over the years, but none come close to the superior quality of CBDMD. Sleep better, relieve your aches and pains, Give your pets treats that they will love. And to make it even easier to see what CBD can do for you, CBDMD is offering all of our listeners 25% off your order when you use the promo code SBR at checkout. Once again, go to CBDMD.com and use promo code SBR at checkout to save 25% on your purchase of superior CBD oil products, from CBDMD. Again, CBDMD.com. Use the promo code SBR at checkout and save 25%. Thank me later. My guest is Gracie Gold. She is the 2014 and 2016 U.S. national champion figure skater, 2014 bronze Olympic medalist. One of the voices in the new documentary, The Weight of Gold, premieres July 29th on HBO. You can follow her on Instagram at GracieGold. 95. Gracie, I have the utmost of respect for you speaking out about the importance of mental health. Your words have been inspiring and courageous. What led to your participation in the Weight of Gold documentary?
3: I mean, I think it was that it was it's a documentary focusing on so many Olympians and our struggles with mental health because I felt and this is true, like if there's a certain level of success in whatever you do or if there's a certain, it's kind of that expression of like, you know, be grateful other people have it worse. And sometimes I feel like Olympians, you know, we're seen as like superheroes, you know, like especially, especially one as accomplished as like Michael Phelps, you know, is in the documentary. He is the most accomplished. He's incredible. So a lot of people think, oh, well, what? Could he struggle with, like, he's Michael Phelps, you know, I have real problems. When in fact, like, that's part of the stigma of mental health is it can affect anyone. It's not, doesn't care about gender, age, who you are, where you're from, or what you do. So I feel like there's kind of this, you know, what it takes to get to the Olympics. Everyone knows, like, oh, you know, you have to practice all the time and, like, work really hard. But both emotionally and mentally, what you have to do to go through that process, not just the Olympics, like not just the Olympic year, but your entire life geared up to this one moment. And then especially if that one moment doesn't go that well, it's, you know, it can be devastating. And even if it does go really well, the aftermath of it. So there was a sports doc, you know, just specifically speaking about the mental health issues that olympians and the olympic community go through it was something that hit so close to home that i was immediately on board
2: let's start with the training regimen you started figure skating when you were eight years old i read and you know you just mentioned you're kind of isolated the doc points this out too that your whole life is figure skating and practice and practice, and you're preparing for four minutes on the ice. And the training regimen, take me back to when you're eight and just your life of preparation and practice and everything for that four minutes.
3: Yeah, so I started um, in Springfield, Missouri. I started skating. I went to a birthday party. After presents and cake, we jumped on the ice, and I immediately fell in love with skating i'd never skated before i didn't know anything about skating um i mean obviously at eight years old that's not shocking um and it just kind of snowballed from there but it was as i started to go through the levels i remember even the first year my coach was like she can't skate in rental skates anymore like she needs to buy her own skate like she needs to come twice a week and then like three times a week like can she come on weekends and then it's changed into before school and after school. So we were skating at 5.30 in the morning and then we would go from practice to school. And then after school, we would go back to the rink. So, you know, so to speak, like working, um, you know, like 14 hour days. And then of course, homework. And then there's the need, you do need like some social time so you don't go totally insane. But, and then as it progresses, Throughout the years, you know, it just gets more and more intense. So in high school, um, I did freshman year in public school before I switched to online. But I remember trying to balance a regular workload of school, and then we would get out early. So I got to skip gym because I was working out several hours, obviously at the rink and an office, and dry land training. But You know, school, as I was skating before, going to school, getting out early to get more hours in. And then as you go through the levels and get older, you have to start incorporating more off-ice training, more dry lands, ballet, like all of these different things. So from a really young age, yeah, you're kind of like working already 12 to 14-hour days. And if you skip a day or skip a week, you know, it's not just oh, like, I didn't really feel like it today, like, whatever, you know, it impacts, it's going to impact that, like, four minutes when the whole entire world tunes in to see you with the American flag on your back, Um, you know, it better be good.
2: The other thing I read in in an article with you, you said you wanted to be first and flawless. That's a lot of pressure for a young person. I have a fifteen and a half year old daughter. So, you know, I have a little bit of insight is to, you know, raising a, a young person and, and but having to be first and flawless if that's your mindset. Did you feel that added pressure?
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, and now some some of that was just naturally. I am a perfectionist and you know, I just have really high expectations for myself and I demand the best for myself all the time like a lot of athletes have that personality trait that's why we're really accomplished we're really good you know we don't take okay or fine or you know I guess that was all right you know for an answer you know like we do it until the job is done it's not just a hundred percent it's not just 110 percent it is the maximum that you can do and then anything less than that the kind of bad part is that anything less than that is just seen as trash and yeah to be flawless especially in a sport you know like skating where there's a huge aesthetic component you know it's not just how you do the jump or it's not just if you land the jump or if you don't land the jump it's like how you do it and how easy you make it look how effortless put together all in a package um because other sports are you know, it doesn't matter how you get the basketball in the hoop. Like, it's just from what line is how many points. If you barely make it, if it's like a surprise shot, like, that's great. But in skating, you know, we're rated from, we're judged, really, from the moment that we step on the ice to the moment that we exit, even in the kiss and cry box. Like, it's still, it's a sport that is, aesthetics are really high up on the list. But to have that kind of pressure to not only do something really hard but to do it the best in the world and then to do it consistently while wearing a dress with makeup while millions of people are watching you um that kind of pressure and level to achieve perfection is really really daunting and we only have four minutes to do that
2: (laughs) and i thought the weight of gold documentary did a really good job of of bringing out all the work that is needed for, you know, your performance, for performance like Michael Phelps, Bodie Miller, um, just the pressure of it's not like you have a next game. Oh, I had an off game. I'll come back the next game. With this, you've got four minutes, and if you don't have a great performance, then there's not a next game to go to. What does the system do with Olympians who aren't perfect, Gracie? By systems, you mean? Just, you know, I thought that was one of the things that stood out in the Weight of Gold documentary is you put, you know, there's, there's campaigns, marketing campaigns, there's all this preparation. And anything short of gold is seen as a failure or it's just, you know, not seen as the pinnacle. And I, I thought that was a really sobering part of the documentary.
3: Um, oh, for sure. I There are multiple different systems, which is why I was asking. As far as, um, I mean, even starting with just the general public, like people that are watching, you know, they only tune in for that moment. You know, they didn't see, even if you had won every single event leading up to the Olympics, even if you were, you know, like the best in the United States, you were like the best at whatever, you know, if you mess up that moment that's all like the general public remembers. And then, yeah, to kind of, especially, and then the better that you are, the higher rank that you are going into something like the Olympics, anything short, yeah, is seen as less than, and it's seen as, it's disappointing, which everyone kind of knows, like, uh, you know, like the ongoing joke of like, it's worse when someone, you know, doesn't say that they're mad at you, that they're disappointed. Um, cause to know that you, uh, it can be hard because you feel almost like you let all of these people down, whether it's fans, friends, coaches, your federation at the Olympics, uh, your country, like the entire country. Um, but you know, really only four or five people were maybe involved in the entire process leading up to it. So to feel that like, in I mean, a short program is almost three minutes and then we have our long program or free program, which is four, seven and seven minutes. Depending on how that goes, you either represented your country well and you either made everybody proud or you disappointed everyone that's ever helped you. Um, And yeah, when it doesn't go well, you really do feel, especially if there were other people on the team or in whatever sport you are like that did really well then it's all about them which makes sense because they did really well but you feel cast aside and almost punished for not doing essentially what's like the impossible as well as you could and i found i found in sochi it was really hard because i wasn't expected to medal because it was my first games i was 18 there are a lot of people that didn't even think I would qualify and then I came fourth. and you know it was so close to the podium that then there was all this disappointment or like oh almost you know almost is one of the saddest words in like the English language like you almost did this you know you almost medaled you almost were on the podium when in fact you know I wasn't expected to be in the first place like I wasn't expected to be on the podium so to come forth at the Olympics and for people to be let down or disappointed or sad for me was really kind of confusing because I did way better than anyone could have ever have imagined and that is that was difficult to manage you know especially as an 18 year old You know, if we all look back to when we were 18, typically 18 year olds, you know, easily overwhelmed. Like we don't know any, like, you know, 18 year olds can be, like a, a senior in high school, right? So to manage that kind of feeling was really, really difficult for me. And yeah, just the feeling of letting everyone down, that can weigh really heavy on a teenager or young adult's shoulders.
2: You said something in the documentary, and out of everything that was said by anyone, this was the thing that grabbed me the most. You said, when an Olympian breaks a bone, everyone rushes to help. The world is so accepting of our physical injuries, but what happens when our brains break? We get left in the dark. It's ignorance, and that ignorance has created a world that doesn't understand depression, that doesn't understand mental health. That really... Grab me out of everything that was said in the documentary why isn't there an organization that's been formed to help Olympians not only with mental health but also to figure out what's next in their life because you're so young when you're done being an Olympian you have the rest of your life in front of you
3: um, yeah and that's um, that's one of my favorite like perspectives on mental health in general but specifically thinking about like really high achieving athletes, kind of like what I said at the beginning where, yeah, there's an ignorance when it comes to mental health that, um, especially when, you know, it doesn't present as you think, like you think depression is feeling really sad and like crying your eyes out and um, after a really traumatic event or when you don't have anything, you know, hopeful when in fact like that's not it doesn't always present that way and it can happen to anyone. It is not based on like, oh, well, you have an Olympic medal. Therefore, you know, you're immune to like clinical depression, to suicidal episodes or ideation, like to, you know, that's not, it doesn't come with an immunity against anything. The same way that you can be in peak conditioning in the best shape of your life, you know, that doesn't make you immune to injuries like things happen and i don't know why there's not an organization that there aren't as many resources um because when you have an injury i mean you receive the best care possible um i remember when i had a foot injury um you know i was rushed to like the top sports doctor um like i had a bone stimulator uh to help grow the bone back together it was you know, sent to um, Kobe Bryant's um, PT, like the best of the best. And then meanwhile, when you're showing signs of mental illness, first off, it's always seen as behavioral. Oh, well, you're being negative. Yeah, because the chemicals in my brain are off. Um, that's, yeah, absolutely. Or, oh, it's all in your head. Absolutely. It's a mental illness. Um, you know, it's like, oh, well, you should see someone. And that's kind of the end of the line, or it's like, oh, you could talk to a sports psychologist, which those can be great, but like, what about a regular psychologist? What about a psychiatrist? What about just like a regular therapist? You know, where are those? Like, where are those resources? Where's that wing of um, the Olympic Training Center Um, or within the Federation's, I don't know.
2: Do you hope that as part of people seeing the weight of gold documentary, that maybe that's the good thing to come out of this? Maybe there is more of an emphasis on on mental health, and maybe there is an organization that's set up where a regular psychologist, not just a sports psychologist, is provided to the athletes.
3: Yeah, I had always, um, especially after what it, I call my quarter life crisis. Um, uh so it's like my depressive episode, my mental breakdown, whatever you want to call it. Um that I you know, that moment in my life. Um and then I was looking before I decided to come back to competitive skating. It was always one of my in like the past like four years, it's been one of my dreams to open uh a mental health wing at the Olympic Training Center. Um there's one in Colorado, there's one in Lake Placid. Um or just various places like that. Because when I entered treatment. You know. I was like wait. This is really. I remember they had like a meditation. Like relaxation room. But not just. You know. With incense. And a comfy couch. Um, and just that kind of. Like you know. How great would it be to just. If you could. Even just get a week. Of what I got. In treatment. Um, and a huge amount of that was like validation, because I feel, and like I kind of said, like when your brain breaks, so to speak, you are invalidated because of things that you have. Somebody will always have it worse than you, but that one person, the person that has it worse off in the entire world, they are not the only person entitled um, to feel badly, to feel depressed, you know, to like, you know, to throw a pity party. Sometimes it's necessary just to sit with the hurt that you have, you are entitled to that. And it's not just the person that has it worse and the ignorance around it is really shocking. And how many, and not to mention the people, what about the people that didn't make the Olympics, the people that were just as good, but they just missed out on the team. And then they, you know, a lot of times it's described as like, Oh, they fell out of the sport. They kind of fell out of love with it. Or they were suffering from like a mental health condition because that kind of devastation, because, it, you know, quote on, if, at least if you made it, that, you know, that feels a little bit better. But the people that just missed out on the Olympics that were nationally ranked, had national medals, won nationals that never went to the Olympics, you know, what about, what about them? You know, there's just not anything in place. And I like I kind of said in that quote, um, it's just ignorance. And it's ignorance about mental health and it's ignorance about Olympians with mental health.
2: Gracie, what was the turning point for you? You mentioned in the New York Times article in 2019, you mentioned in this documentary, you sought treatment Uh, was there a turning point for you where you said, I absolutely need to get help, and then you've been so brave speaking out about mental health issues, and I think you've helped countless number of people, athletes and otherwise, who maybe didn't have the courage to speak out or or go get help. What was a turning point for you?
3: Um, So one of the big turning points was actually at um, kind of like, there's a in the summer uh the figure skating team has like a it's called chance camp um but it's we head to colorado springs at the olympic training center for a week where we kind of have to check in before the fall and winter competitive season starts and i was to say a hot mess is an understatement like i was i was severely clinically depressed i was You know kind I was having the suicidal ideation Um, it was the bleakest that it has ever been and the signs were obvious but um, I did get on the ice and um, and showed what is like didn't even really have anything to show because I really hadn't been training because i had been clinically depressed And I was invalidated by a lot of people where it was seen as behavioral, where like, why aren't you in shape? You know, why haven't you been doing this or this or this? Or, and in the sport of skating, you know, a lot, I would say like probably 75%, if we're being honest, run into an eating disorder situation, men and women. And of course, one of the first things that was told to me was, um, you're overweight. And that's why having trouble and not one person really asked like what's um what's happening here like why are we because I always loved working out I've always loved skating and then there was a very sudden and obvious change and instead it was just like it was as if I just couldn't hack it anymore um and then there was there were two people one were for the USOC and one was um employed by skating and they actually sat kind of down with me in a way, but I was just kind of talking and rambling and just venting really about all the things that had transpired, trauma related and otherwise. And they were the first people that could like ask and like heard my story of everything that had happened. And they said, Oh my God, like this is really, this is trauma, Gracie. Like this is really traumatic, heavy stuff. Um, like you need help with this and they were the ones that ended up spearheading getting me into treatments and subsequently afterwards have helped me you know just kind of like get back on my feet and have been there for me um, in a really supportive way and then once I agreed to check into treatments did that and then I started speaking out at first, it was just more of an explanation of why I dipped off like the face of the earth for 45 days. Um, you don't have cell phones and treatment. And then people were genuinely surprised and kind of encouraging because they're like, wait, what happened? Like, what's your story? Um, I think because I was just really candid about my struggles, which in the figure skating community especially was really really limited and then it just kind of and then I realized like how like how little people knew not just my story but the stories of so many people that I know and like other really high level skaters that I've like personally talked with that have parallel stories um they just didn't have that breakthrough moment that launched them into like an actual treatment facility of some or something like that and That was, it was, it was really upsetting at first, actually, that nobody knew, nobody knew what to do. Nobody knew how to handle it. And that there, yeah, like you said, like there wasn't anything in place for when something other than your body breaks, like when your soul breaks, when your brain breaks, when your heart, like, you know, when you just can't take it anymore, anything like that was suddenly people didn't know what to do.
2: What are you doing these days to keep yourself healthy?
3: Um, So a variety of things. Um, Have a therapist. Um, I do feel like people really misjudge therapy. You know, there's like a whole talking about your feelings. Okay, it's like whatever, right? That person is just... You talk about whatever. They can help you through relationships, through childhood trauma, through not even romantic relationships, but how to work better with other people. Um, It's really really increased my empathy for others as well as myself. And I have a really good support group. And I was really honest, like as the support group, I call them like the people in my nest, so to speak. Um, Being honest with them about um, like, if you see this behavior, um, this is a red flag. And if you see this behavior, this is a big red flag. Like these are things when I'm starting to be in kind of a bad way again. And if you could help me and support me when those are happening if you could bring them up and say hey um like you're not sleeping again um you're not eating as much as you should um you're you know you're withdrawing from others like you know these are signs that something else is happening so do you want to be distracted from it and like you know like let's go out, you know, like, let's go out to eat somewhere. Or in this case, like, I'll come, like, my friend is like, um, I'll get takeout and, like, I'll just come over and we can either talk about it or I can distract you from it. But those are really big things where a lot of times there are some, because not all mental health issues. um, If they don't show or present as, like, the stereotypical way, they really go unnoticed. Um, But one of mine is when I start to get crazy busy, that's actually... I use that as like a coping mechanism. So I just, you know, I just do so many things to distract me from whatever is bothering me or not sleeping. um, You know, just like getting up, just staying up too late because, you know, I was doing something productive, you know, but it's really what it is is um, I don't want to sleep or I'm having insomnia because I can't sleep because I'm stressed. Like things like that and really being honest with the people around me to help keep me accountable. And then I do the same for them. So that's been huge for me. And of course, um, love me some therapy.
2: Gracie, very last question. You returned to the ice at the 2020 U S figure skating championships As someone who had always strived to be first and flawless. How good did it feel just to be back on the ice?
3: So it felt 80, I would say like 85% truly amazing. And then there was of course, mm, 10, 15% of me that remembered what it like, what it felt like to be more competitive and was very, very nitpicky and like I could kind of feel that like intense level of perfectionism. But then, you know, I had to remind myself where we started, where we came from, and all the things that had happened along the way to kind of put it in perspective. Um, but it genuinely felt really good to just skate and perform to the best that I could in that moment and not be tied down with the expect, like my own high expectations or I don't know if other people had expectations, but just focusing on, you know, like with my team, what our goals were, what we were going for, what happened, how did it go? And then breaking it down and just really enjoying uh, and working the process of it all. Um, And of course I, the crowd gave me a standing ovation after my long, which was really emotional. I think for like me and everyone. Um, so it was really, really cool. It was really different than every other nationals I competed at, but in a really good, warm way.
2: Gracie Gold, one of the voices in the new documentary "The Weight of Gold," that premieres July 29th on HBO. You can follow Gracie on Instagram at graciegold 95. Gracie, continued success to you. Thanks for your bravery. And thanks for sharing your story on Sports Business Radio. I appreciate it.
3: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
2: If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and Main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to mizzenandmain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's mizzenandmain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Maine also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenandMaine.com, use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenandMaine.com, code SBR. My guest is David Katz. He is the Executive Vice President and Head of Digital at Fox Sports. Fox Sports used Major League Baseball's opening weekend as a launch pad for its new redesigned mobile app and website. David, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm doing great.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: I love the large images, the easy navigation with the new mobile app and with the website. What were some of your goals when you set out to redesign both?
0: Well, you know, we had a unique opportunity to reimagine what a sports app could be for the next 10 years, for the present and the next 10 years. And I think look, you and I have been in this space for a very long time. I've used these apps and websites since they started coming out and many have not really evolved too much the original structures that were put in place for the most part have been tweaked a little bit but they're not dramatically different yet think about how different our lives are now in terms of where we go for information how we consume it the ui experience of how you get into the content it's just a totally different ball game today and none of that had really um kind of been moved into the digital sports space So we looked at a lot of research that talked about the pain points that fans have with these apps and websites, how they're not being served as best they could. We looked at the modernization of design and UI. and We even took inspiration not just from social media platforms like Instagram or Snapchat and others, but also from dating apps. You know, the, the whole idea of swiping right, swiping left, hmm. navigating through images and content that way was something pretty, pretty apparent for those who are, who are on these dating apps, but maybe hasn't kind of gotten into the, the scrolling type experiences that you find most of these, these current sports apps and websites to be. So we, we really tried to just modernize the experience. And we also think that if you're projecting where a sports fan is going from where they are today. Um, There's a different sensibility they might have. There's a certain need for personalization that they might have, and everyone talks about it, but very few people deliver on it. And then you have things like sports wagering that Fox has has very much been on the forefront of with their partnership with Foxbet and getting into a partnership with an operator as opposed to a marketing partnership like many others have done. We've really gone deeper. And we just believe that over time, that's going to become a more and more important part of of the overall sports fan experience. So take all of those things, put it in a bowl, add water, and uh, and then you get this. And you mentioned the high-impact imagery on that first screen. Uh, We really wanted to make sure that fans had a simple experience, kind of knew what they needed to do when they got in very intuitively. But we also want to create what we call timeline stoppers. You know, think about how you scroll through social media platforms. There's just an endless stream of information and content and visuals. And if you don't do something special, you really don't catch someone's attention. You scroll right past it. So for us, we've taken design very seriously and really, I think, are the leaders in social media design among our peers. And we really try to bring a lot of that high impact imagery and design focus to the app and the website as well.
2: So before we get into some of the specifics about the app and the website, I've got to ask you, did this global health crisis that we're in, did this accelerate anything that you've done with this? Because we're all so much more connected than we were six months ago. And, and I'm just wondering with your timeline, was this always the timeline or did you say, wow, we've got a real opportunity here?
0: Well, if, if anything, strangely enough, uh, it did not accelerate the, the launch of this it probably delayed the launch of this a little bit hmm. you know we were ready to go a little sooner uh we wanted to to put this around a big tentpole event and candidly you notice that there's a lot of um video imagery and and written word focus all kind of coming together and it's much easier to do that when you have sports live sports to talk about as opposed to doing that when You know, you're sitting stagnant without a lot of games going on, trying to make up things to talk about. So we we thought the return of baseball was the perfect hook for that. And as that date slipped a little bit, um, we kind of attached our launch to that, and the timing worked out really well. Obviously, the fall at Fox, you know, we we pride ourselves on owning the fall. It's such an important time for us. You know, NFL, we have our Thursday night package or Sunday package. We've got uh, Major League Baseball postseason heating up, and then we've got college football slate, among other sports, You know, college basketball, et cetera, coming on. And it's just such an important time for us that we wanted to make sure that we were out well in advance of that, working out any kinks, learning from how fans are using this so that we can employ some some important changes perhaps before the season starts in the fall. So it felt like a great time to do it. I will say the one area that – uh, was absolutely accelerated by the COVID crisis was the expertise that we as a digital group have developed in remote production. And if you go back, we we've really pushed the envelope on this idea of live digital original programming. And we've done probably over a hundred what we call watch parties. I say that in quotes. But these are experiences where Fans at home can watch former players, current players, uh, front office people, talent experts watching a game that they care about. So we set up shop in the infield of the Daytona 500, and we had you know Mike Mike Waltrip and other experts commenting live in a very different way than you would see on TV. Much more conversational, much more in depth, a lot more storytelling, and. We started doing these types of shows. I think it culminated with, you know, we had the Super Bowl this year, and at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, we had Joe Montana, Brett Favre, and Drew Brees in a small suite off, you know, without a view of the stadium, in a small little suite that we converted into a production center. And they were there for four hours, talking live and sharing stories during the entire Super Bowl and fans could watch them watch the Super Bowl and it was a very unique kind of alternative broadcast so we've gotten really good at that format we won our first ever webby awards we won three this year for these types of formats we were nominated for a for a sports Emmy Award in that category of digital innovation for this watch party concept um, we have another award that will be will be announced fairly soon that we were just told about. So that format's starting to gain some traction. And what it's done for us is we've developed a lot of reps at knowing how to do remote production with talent in many different locations under very difficult circumstances. Poor lighting, terrible Wi-Fi, no cellular connections, uh, people going you know, on the move as opposed to being stationary audio issues of every kind. We have dealt with them. So imagine a world where you get word second week of March, we're not going into the studio lot at Pico anymore. And these shows that have been shot on on that lot for so long can no longer be produced that way. And uh, the digital team raised its hand and said, we can get this talent live on air um, tomorrow uh, from their homes in a safe way. So we worked very closely with Brad Zager and Charlie Dixon, who run oversee executive producer of Fox Sports, as well as Charlie running the FS1 shows. And We figured out a, a, a production plan and partnership that allowed these shows to get on air. And we produced, if you include the reruns of these shows, more than 800 hours of live television since the COVID crisis started, all being produced through our technical director's garage in Santa Monica, and a woman who works for him's apartment on the west side of Los Angeles. That's amazing. Between, between those two production <laughs> facilities that were spun up, this is all IP delivered, and we got feeds back in many different ways, and they added sound, music, breaks, graphics, you name it. And we produced quote-unquote television through a digital mechanism, uh, and it it was only because you know our bosses had given us the ability to invest in some crazy ideas over the last couple of years and try to push our production techniques. So from that standpoint, um, we are now skilled enough to basically spin up new franchises and shows that people from all over the country, and our experts, you know, we're very lucky at Fox Sports. We have, I think, the best roster of talent in the business. And those experts have very strong perspective and context and insights. But they're all over the country, and, and we now can get them into what feel like formatted shows from wherever they are. We don't need to fly them into Los Angeles and give them hair and makeup and put them in wardrobe and do all those types of things. We can now get them live, um, and you know something that will come out after by the time this podcast is up is – I'll give you a great example of that. We have Urban Meyer – you know, former coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes and Florida Gators, where he won national championships, um, interviewing many of his former players and coaches. And we have a very long-form interview uh, that's going to be breaking with Urban interviewing Tim Tebow. They're in two totally different places. They're not coming together in a studio. But that original exclusive video production that's going to launch on FoxSports.com and the Fox Sports app, is an example of where the COVID crisis allowed us to get even more reps and more expertise to be able to do more of this high quality programming with big names, the biggest names in sports on the topics fans care about the most. And that's the kind of stuff that you'll see featured in our app and website that's exclusive
2: and, um, and we think serves the fan in a very compelling way. I love it. I am very close friends with uh, Colin Coward from his days in Portland. I'm in Portland. And I was in his studio last summer at this time. And, you know, so I saw the setup and everything, but I paid really close attention to how he transitioned to doing his show from home for a little bit there in in March. I know he's back in studio now, but, yeah, I think you guys have done a genius job at getting your talent on the air and, you know, all the things that you've done around what you just described. One of the things that popped out to me when I saw your announcement about – the new uh, mobile app is the bonus cams. I'm a big fan of innovation and, you know, I've sat in those trucks too. And I know that we can only see one camera at a time on TV, but you've got all these other camera angles and and great content. Tell us a little bit about how you're going to use the bonus cams.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, it's funny. I I bumped into Colin yesterday randomly. We had a little chat. He was, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he was, uh, very, very complimentary about the new app and website, love the simplicity and usability and depth of content. And, you know, what inspires me about a guy like that is Colin is one of the most, if not the most important voice in sports. And at a time during COVID, when fans were at home, desperately wanting to get context, insight, perspective, information from these important voices, it was paramount that those voices not be silenced at that time. Right. And, uh, and that's where we kind of just stepped in to make sure that Colin's audience could consistently hear from him and, and hear his thoughts because they're so important. They set the stage for so much of what, what fans talk about. So thank you for mentioning Colin. He's been a great asset for Fox Sports and a, and a huge advocate for the digital side of everything that we do. Um, but you mentioned bonus cams, and, and this is a little bit of our of our pride and joy uh, like you, um, I'm inspired by innovation. I'm not interested in doing things the way everyone else has done them. And I've seen on a on a college football Saturday or an NFL Sunday how many cameras are coming in, or 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 when we have the postseason baseball. You think about how many cameras are being brought into our Pico facility or into the trucks wherever they are remotely. And what I see behind the scenes, that fans can't see, is a treasure trove of access and unique perspective that you just won't get anywhere else. Um, But the issue with bonus cams historically has been you're either watching an extra feed or you're watching the game feed. You've never really been able to watch both simultaneously. Hmm. And that was a problem we were trying to solve. Our CEO, Eric Shanks, was very passionate about the fact that if you can do this to enhance the telecast, great. If it's a replacement for the telecast, then that's not as good of a fan experience. So we were challenged by that. And we set out to come up with a design that we thought would accomplish both and is intuitive enough to give people those extra feeds and extra angles, not confusing, and also audio plays such an important role. So what you see when you go into the bonus cams, and we're going to be doing this for every Major League Baseball game this year. We're doing it for all the MLS games. And stay tuned if, you know, God willing, there's college football and and a lot of other stuff. You're going to see more and more of these bonus cam experiences. But we've just started it this past weekend with our quadruple header of major league baseball games, and it went off terrifically. The ability to watch the live game, assuming you're authenticated, we are still behind a a locked wall for fans who pay for television. And if you're a pay TV subscriber, you authenticate once, so then you're good for a very long time without having to re-authenticate. And you come into the experience, and right below it, you'll have bonus cam number one, which in this case was a multi-view, four different views of the pitcher. So you can see them from all different angles and kind of really focus in on the pitcher who's got the ball in his hands every every single play. And then we had a high home cam behind home plate that showed all nine, all nine of the players, so a very kind of wide perspective shot. And then we had the center field cam, which kind of zoomed in on the batter, And the infield from center field, and it was kind of a tracking camera of the of the hitter. In soccer, last night we had a bunch, you know, some soccer matches, and there you had um, we were doing what we call natural sound feed. So you know that there's some enhanced audio that is going into a lot of our games, where it has the feel of the crowd, and it's really great at adding energy and making it feel more, you know, less like a high school game and more like the pro games that you're used to. Um, but for those who want to hear the natural sound experience um, in our MLS matches, you can toggle between the audio, watch the video. It's the same play out of the of the game feed, but you can toggle between the audio and and, and hear what it's like with the enhanced sound. And if you prefer, you can hear the players screaming, the ball hitting their foot every time and just the, the quiet stillness inside of the stadium as they're playing. So we're going to keep. Pushing the envelope and seeing what different um, angles we can provide them and, and wait till you see postseason baseball. We've got some really fun stuff planned. Um, but all that is is really exciting. And we came up with a design that's so unique that, you know, we're in the process. Of a, we've got a patent that has been uh, put forward for some of the design elements and the UI and technical experience of that. So very excited about Bonus Camps.
2: By the way, I love the virtual fans in the stands for Major League Baseball on Fox this weekend. I, you know, I got to tell you, David, I was a little bit skeptical. I was like, how are they going to pull this off? What's it going to look like? But after watching it, I, I watched the uh, Cubs Brewers game from Wrigley. It looked great. And I was like, this is really innovative. I, I Again, I love innovations. Well, look,
0: I think if you go back through the history of Fox Sports, they have always tried to do innovative things that have pushed the envelope. And some of these things become so uh, normal to the everyday experience. Think about the Fox box, putting the actual score up on the screen the entire time, never used to happen. And the first down marker, and they've tried a bunch of these innovations that have just become a part of the everyday. There's a bunch of other things that they have tried. And you know what, maybe it wasn't the right way to go, or maybe it just doesn't, it's not it, but you can't, fault the company for always trying to put the fan first and think about if I'm sitting in their seat at home, what would make this a more compelling experience? So when I saw the fan, the virtual fan stuff as well, and I saw the trailer that they put together, I was actually blown away. It was one of the most innovative things I've ever seen. Um, And then the technical expertise on the back end to make that run so that a fly ball going out the center field you can make the virtual fans in center field stand up in real time, and have the ooze as the ball is approaching the fence, and if the ball goes over, it turns into a cheer, and if the ball is caught and you're the home team, it starts booing or it starts you know exasperated like you know a sigh or something. The ability to do that in real time and is incredible. And for anyone, you know, I live in Los Angeles, you know, the, the make believe capital of the world where people do this. People don't realize that movies are completely sound edited after they're shot. And that's how the movie gets made. To be able to do this in real time is an incredible leap of technology. So whatever you saw this first weekend, I'm sure will get better over time. That was really a trial period for it. Um, but we're excited and I, we get excited on the digital side every time our TV counterparts do something that's just like incredibly creative and, and blows us away.
2: David, before I let you go, as the head of digital for Fox Sports, I'm really interested in the growth of digital. I became a full-blown streamer about two years ago, so I'm completely streaming. um, And I'm just watching, you know, whether it's Apple TV or HBO or Netflix or all these streaming services that have experienced big growth during the last six months when people are at home and consuming more. What are you seeing as far as digital consumption goes from where you sit as the head of digital for Fox Sports.
0: You mentioned at the beginning what are some of the things that uh, this unfortunate pandemic has done, and where it has accelerated things is on the streaming side. Um, the amount of consumption taking place uh, on all of these various platforms is, is extraordinary, and I think I, I don't see that going back, especially if you end up with a school year where a lot of these kids who, you know, parents do as good a job as they can to manage screen time. It's very important for people to get away from their screens and have actual human interactions and um, and engage with other people. But you're looking at, in some parts of the country, school years that are gonna be done virtually and, and people that are gonna be using computers and, and and tablets and other devices to get your education. So I think that technology continues to move forward consumption on these platforms will only continue to grow um, where people go to look for information today is almost exclusively the internet um, and so a lot of that stuff we have to be there as a digital group to make sure that we're you know looking at where that trend line is is heading and getting ahead of it and delivering products there I did mention you know wagering and sports sports betting is something that is Slowly being rolled out state by state around the country, you're going to see a few more states added this fall as opposed to last fall. But in that, like to me, that is another, you know, that's an online experience. Yes, there's a handful of people that could go into a casino in certain parts of the country and place a bet, but that is at its core inherently a digital platform. And when someone has the ability with a phone in their hand to start, you know, having getting more interest in these games and having a little a little bit of fun and i i do think by the way it's very important that when you go in that world you think about social socially responsible gaming and you really are concerned about making sure that it's done in a in a fair honest high integrity and responsible manner when we start going into this um you know we're not looking for the person who's looking to spend thousands of dollars on a game we want people who are like oh you know what I'm going to watch this game tonight with my, with my friend who thinks the other team is going to win and we'll put $5 down and see who's right. That's the kind of, you know, level of interest that we're hoping to get. But these are all digital platforms. These are all made available because of where our world is going and moving to. So we obviously keep an eye on it. We live it, and breathe it every day. Social has absolutely exploded for us over the last several years. And, and, We have had an app and a website that have been a little bit deficient in serving the fans the way we wanted to. So we spent a lot of time over the last year trying to leapfrog what is available in the marketplace for fans. And hopefully they'll go download the new Fox Sports app and go to FoxSports.com and check it out and give us their their rankings and their feedback. Because this this is the first step and we'll listen to the fans and we'll constantly be tweaking and changing and making this product better. But we're excited to have it out in people's hands.
2: As David said, the new Fox Sports app is available now in the iOS and Android app stores. The redesigned website is live at foxsports.com. David Katz, the Executive Vice President and Head of Digital for Fox Sports. David, thanks for joining me, and uh, congrats on all the growth and success.
0: Thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate it. Keep doing all your great work.
2: Thank you so much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere with any device. Today, that dream is reality, and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. From 5G and CBRS to DAS and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends from Boingo Wireless, CBDMD, and Mizzen in Maine. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.
1: This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter, at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.